Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Episode 78 of Suncast. So at one point, that engineer was stuck in traffic and his salesperson needed a number urgently, had a meeting with a customer. This guy's literally on the turnpike and is not going to get in front of his computer in time for this meeting. He actually called up his 10-year-old son and talked his 10-year-old son through how to log in, how to make the changes that the sales guy needed. His 10-year-old son sent the results to his salesperson and they closed the customer. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey, solar warriors, welcome back. This is episode 78 of Suncast. I'm your host, Nico Johnson. And I'm so glad that you are back with me again this week, fighting the good fight, defending our right to transition to clean energy. And this week, we are rounding out our discussion with Mr. Paul Grana, co-founder of the much-loved solar design software, Helioscope. If you missed last week's episode, then you might consider going back to catch it next, as it's actually part one of this interview. And we go over a lot of the foundations and early pivot points in Paul's career that led to founding Folsom Labs with his partner, Paul Gibbs. Known as the Pauls colloquially in our industry, they have created one of the most successful SaaS companies in the solar industry. And I asked Paul how on earth they managed to grow to over 3,000 users with zero, count them, zero formal salespeople. Along the way, we also dig into markers along the path to success, pointing out two key inflection points of their growth. Building a product so easy, a 10-year-old can use it. We talk about how they attracted and activated their early adopters. Paul gives some startup advice for both employees and founders. And he gives a useful approach for considering your short and long-term career goals. And for those of you who do like to stick around for the book recommendations at the end and for the bold prediction, you won't be disappointed. Paul gets in his time machine and digs up some real gems from the last century. If you enjoy this or any other episode of Suncast, probably the biggest compliment that you could pay me is to recommend this show to others. And the second most helpful way to do that is actually rating and reviewing the podcast in iTunes. Your positive review and subscription to the show actually helps other ambitious intellectuals like you find the show. And for that, I sincerely thank you. This episode is brought to you in partnership with SoulRates.com, the fast and free online platform for providing your commercial customers with a credible lease financing proposal. So easy, yes, probably a 10-year-old 
could do it. If you have projects over 100000 in value and you'd like to see how Soul Rates can help you quickly and easily deliver a financing proposal to your customers and usher them through the bank financing process, then head on over to mysuncast.com forward slash soul rates and click on request an invitation. Thank you again, as always, for setting aside this time in your day. Here we go with part two of our deep dive with your friend and mine, the Duke of Design, the most hydrated man in solar, Mr. Paul Grana. You know, I've always appreciated how you seem to have a very good understanding of the type of person that's going to use your software. We talked a lot about the services that you guys are providing. And I really like the analytical focus that you have on even something like your presence at a trade show. But for startups, a lot of folks spend a lot of time focused on the wrong things. They are not quite sure what to look for as what we might consider road signs or road markers along the way to success. I'm curious about two specific, perhaps inflection points or road signs along your path. The first is when you felt like you had started to get traction and what that looked like for Helioscope. And further down the road is what were the validation points that began to give you more than traction, but something that looked like critical mass that you felt like, okay, we can go raise money around this and I could probably make a business around it? There were definitely a few different points where things seemed to change. I think the first one was actually the first month that we launched because when we were in beta, we were really talking to the engineers. And so we had focused on the people who we knew were working on the hardest problems and trying to make sure that they could do the things that they needed to do. And then as soon as we launched, a bunch of those engineers actually said, okay, this is cool. I need one seat for myself, but then I need five seats for my sales team. And we just had no idea that was coming. But it doesn't take much to realize that, hey, there's a lot more salespeople than there are engineers. That was not by design. It was by luck or whatever you want to call it, where we kind of got pulled into this market for actually being a product for the non-engineers, for the non-experts, for the non-PEs you know, PEs to do decent work. Then, to be honest, there was a period of relative slow growth. You know, The first nine months were pretty slow and they were pretty harrowing. But then we kept ironing out the hairiest parts of the product. And then I think about nine or so months after that was where we just started to see things gradually picking up more and more. There was never a single moment when things were crazy, but I think it was probably around that first year SPI and the the SPI follow-up that things started to really kind of take off there. The two things that stick out to me in my memory were, I think, first of all, having the IEs, so independent engineers. There's a couple of blue chip, really well-respected engineering firms that the banks use. So when you talk about getting approval by Wells Fargo or B of A or whatever on these billion-dollar transactions, they don't have in-house engineers, but they lean on these third-party engineering firms. When they bought, I remember saying to Gibbs, that's a big deal. This means mm-hmm. we've made it. And at the time, he was more pessimistic. And he said, well, I'm not saying we're done yet, but sure, that's a good sign. But then the other thing was when we heard from new customers that they had heard about us from other happy customers. And mm-hmm. when we realized that in addition to the work that we were doing to put ourselves in front of people and to tell the story that our users were telling the story, that was important because that's an engine that it takes a while to spin up. 
to get people not just to use it, but to use it and to have that moment when they're stuck and that either the product comes through or our support team comes through really kind of gets them out of a bind such that they're going to go to their friends and say, you got to get on this thing. It takes a long time to get the context in place for that to happen. But then once it does and those people start to become advocates, then it becomes a flywheel that starts to just keep turning. For those who aren't salespeople or engineers, what's an example of how you like help someone get unstuck or how you save the day for someone? Probably one of the biggest ones are cases where someone gets halfway through a process, then the constraints change. So for example, let's say the budget changes and suddenly you need to increase or decrease the system size. The racking product changes and suddenly instead of being 50 centimeters, it's 75 centimeter row spacing. So on a commercial system, when someone has to make that change, it's basically a a two minute process in Helioscope and they realize that that would have been two hours in in AutoCAD. The light bulb really goes off. That's probably the, the most acute one. And then the other thing that's really quite common and powerful is when you put this in the hands of a skilled salesperson. So when that salesperson can now actually sit down with the customer and make it a collaboration, ask questions and incorporate the feedback from the user, that really gets them excited. In fact, the the final example that I, um, I always found this to be a hilarious example, small company, maybe 15 people, they had one Heliscope user because again, there are a few sales guys, a few operations people, and one kind of all-purpose engineer. So at one point, that engineer was stuck in traffic and his salesperson needed a number urgently, had a meeting with the customer. This guy's literally on the turnpike and is not going to get in front of his computer in time for this meeting. He actually called up his 10-year-old son and talked his 10-year-old son through how to log in, how to make the changes that the sales guy needed. His 10-year-old son sent the results to his salesperson and they closed the customer. And he actually told me this in person. He, he literally had the the design printed out in, <laughs> in, in, in our booth uh, at one of those East Coast shows. That kind of thing where you don't plan for that, but when it's easy enough. So again, it's when it's the kind of thing where the engineer trusts it, but he also trusts his 10-year-old son. That's huge. Now, the, the only follow-up question is, why did he trust his 10-year-old son more than his salesperson? But that's for a different day. <laughs> um, but you know, that's the kind of thing where the one time that happens, that product pays for itself for the next two, three years right there. That is a powerful story. And it's remarkable to me that Gibbs wasn't designing for the simplicity and implementation of a 10-year-old. Along the lines of user acquisition, one of the things that early on you guys did well, and I'd say better than most or others in the industry, was the ability to get sticky in the process. And by sticky, I mean the user needs what you provide. It becomes a daily part of their activity. It's like CRM, but for engineers, right? Was there anything that you can point to that you would say is particularly unconventional regarding how you activated new users or how you acquired new accounts? Because of our backgrounds on module level power electronics, Mm -hmm. we knew all the early adopters. So it actually goes back to feedback I give to people early in their career where, you know, I'll say, look, go work on the hardest problem you can find. And it has a bunch of secondary benefits. Because in addition to finding the breaking points in the industry or in that part of the industry, you'll gain a really powerful network. So after having tried to bring optimizers when no one was using and no one wanted optimizers and trying to sell value, like I just mentioned about the engineering team versus the sales team, it's not like we knew exactly who was going to need it, but we at least knew the engineers who had the most open minds across the industry. If you think about the way our funnel works, we do a lot of marketing. And at the very top of the funnel, I would put word of mouth right up there. 
So there's, there's sort of word of mouth, which has a, a previous step. But then it's marketing where we do do a lot of trade shows as one piece. We try to do a lot of articles that we try to make them as interesting as possible. So like thought leadership stuff. Exactly. You know, helping people understand things about sizing inverters, thinking about shade, thinking about, you know, which roof pitches are ideal. And hopefully looking for something that's a little bit counterintuitive that people might not have otherwise realized. But then once people get into that trial, it's basically customer support. And so we're all about marketing and support. And there's no one who has a quota. There's no one who's trying to make outbound calls. We don't do discovery. And part of it is that the sheer number of people that we have coming in each month is too large for us to throw a team against it. And plus, the price is pretty cheap at 95 bucks a month. If you start to do the math on what the ROI of having a salesperson dedicating their time to converting someone from zero to one when one is 95 a month, it doesn't really pencil out for a salesperson. So really, the price point drives a lot of it. If our product was 10 times more expensive, then we would have sales types of activities. You know, I probably could have guessed that webinars are huge for you because you guys do so many of them and you started doing them at a time when webinars were not really saturated. You were one of the earlier folks to jump in and do these GTM webinars. I've been thinking a lot about how to incorporate webinars, not just for Suncast, but for Soul Rates and so many other companies that I work with. It might be fun, Paul. What if we did a Suncast Tactical Tuesday on the power of webinars for selling in the solar industry? Let's do it. Awesome. So we'll tee that one up, listeners. You guys stay tuned and we'll pull Paul back in, talk all about webinars. Maybe we'll do a demo of how you do Helioscope as an example. Is there any advice that you'd like to give fellow entrepreneurs currently in the throes of startup life? I actually have two different pieces of advice for someone who's an employee and one for someone who's a founder. For the founders, what you find is there are always good things happening and there are always bad things happening all at once. You can at the same point in time, convince yourself that the world is wonderful and convince yourself that you might not survive to the next month. And the difference is your own psychology. And so I used to say that traders, you know, if you ever play in the stock market, you realize how much your own psychology plays into it Mm -hmm. in a way that when you have a job, you can just kind of do the job, be rational and just, you know, you know, try to be, be a good worker the whole time. When you're, when you, if you play in the stock market, which you shouldn't do, you realize how much of it is about fear and greed and, you know, momentum. And it's, it's, it's completely psychological. And that's a lot of what happens when you're a founder as well. Are you able to hold on to the positive? Do you think too much about the negative? What's your mix of fear versus paranoia versus, versus hope? There's not a right answer other than trying to be at least mindful and aware and try to control that. For employees, there's actually one that's a little more actionable, which is when people are looking at a new job or looking at changing jobs, one thing that I've tried to do for myself and, and, and counseled other people on is when you think of a job, think about the following job. Okay, I've got a great opportunity with company X with responsibilities Y and Z. Okay, well, what's that going to set you up to do three years down the road? Who are you going to know? What skills are you going to build? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to be physically located? Where is that company going to be in three years? In terms of planning a career, like I said, for both myself and, and people around me, some of the most useful ways to frame stuff, because otherwise you tend to get stuck in optimizing for comp, optimizing for title, mm. optimizing for things that are pretty short term, to be honest. Sage advice from one who's been there. I like that advice to think about multiple. It's kind of like a chess game. Think of the multiple strategies that you need to deploy and where you're going to be two or three steps from now, especially given that the average job right now for 
folks your age and younger or my age younger is two to three years, and then you're going to move to yeah. a new position. There's actually a book about that. I think it's called The Alliance by Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, where it really is about this idea that you're going to do pretty much a two to three year tour of duty. It's how you think about a career 30 year bet, but as 10 three year bets. And as a way to think about your employment with the company to say, hey, this is what I want to do for the next two years. And then let's reassess and see if it's time for another two-year tour of duty, or maybe the next thing to do is actually outside the company. And so I do think that that's a useful approach. As you know, as a faithful listener of Suncast, you know that I like to round out on the section of learning leadership and legacy. I love that you threw in The Alliance, a great book by Reed Hoffman. What other books have formed or shaped your leadership style? And I've recently started asking, what book would you give yourself as a recent college grad? There's actually a couple that I've been thinking about. It's probably one of my biggest regrets as a founder is I've, I've really not read much in the last couple of years. But there are actually two books that I do think about a lot. One is The Mythical Man Month, which is an old school, I think it was written in the 70s, book about software engineering project management. That is the book where you'll often hear the apocryphal anecdote that, you know, nine women can't make a baby in one month. It goes in deep about thinking about the coordination costs on a team and how adding resources can often slow progress down. It kind of proves how that happens and hopefully how you can try to avoid it. The other book that I think about a lot is The Goal, Again, I forget the name of the author on that one as well. That was from the operations class we took in business school. They call it a parable. Um, but it's a, ba- a process of ongoing improvement? Yes, exactly. Okay. And as a way to think about a bottleneck, that's a book that's really stuck with me. Just the concept that any process actually has a rate limiting factor, just by definition. The more effective you can be at seeing that, at finding it, and at understanding whether you need to apply resources differently to change the bottleneck, it's a hugely useful philosophy on how to approach problems across life. Very, very tactical indeed. I love that you went way back to the 80s for these books, 70s and 80s. So the first one, for those who didn't hear, it's The Mythical Man Month by Fred Brooks. The second is The Goal by Eliyahu Goldratt and Jeff Cox. I will have those in the show notes, of course, as always. And then the other book you mentioned was The Alliance by Reed Hoffman. Paul, what one habit or consistent practice has the greatest impact in your life or work? I think probably just spending time with customers. If anything, the last four years has taught me that everything good has started from a customer and worked out from there. The things that drive our product, the things that drive our marketing, the things that drive how we think about the future, everything comes to our customers. You know, I'm lucky to have the smartest customers in the world. Pretty much the one thing I do consistently is staying on the front line supporting our users, but it leads to tons of interesting ideas for articles, ideas for initiatives, et cetera. What does it look like to stay in front of customers? You spend time with customers, but how do you do that? I mean, if I'm listening to this and I hear that sounds a little bit like 10,000 foot for me. So for us, it almost goes back to what I was talking about with the price of the product. So that's a mix of being at conferences. We probably do 10 conferences. I think we went to, I think I went to 12 last year, this year, probably on pace for more like 15. Wow. And then if I'm not at a conference, I am on email and uh, we do chat support. So we're doing live online chat pretty much uh, most hours of the day. I'm 
probably write 50 to 100 emails a day. That's not counting, you know, mail merge, you know, when you, when you trigger it, you know, a thousand at one time. We chat, I think I looked it up, I think in 2016, we did uh, 1.5 million words worth of chatting. So, you know, mm. we, I think we average about 80 chat conversations a day with our users. And again, I, I try to share some load on that. I don't cover my equal weight, but I, I, I try to pitch in on that as much as I can. And again, it goes back to, we don't have anyone that does sales. Honestly, cannot remember the last time I've gone to a customer for a meeting, which is weird. But again, until we have higher price products and we can, we can, you know, have a six figure product, we are small ball. We're like, we're like National League baseball, as I say, it's a bunch of bunts and singles and sacrifices. And it works, you know, we're not home run hitters, we're not huge deals in steak dinners. We're just lots and lots of, uh, you know, the little things it takes to get someone to what, you know, again, our users have whatever their deadlines are, and we just want to make sure that they're successful in getting their work done quickly and efficiently. Since you don't have a sales army out there, for those who are listening and they want to reach out to you, how could they find you? Well, so first of all, email. Paul.grana, and is in Nebraska, at FolsomLabs.com. The other one that's probably the fastest and most random is uh, if you go to Helioscope.com or FolsomLabs.com, there's a chat window. You don't even need to be signed in to, to use that chat window. If you ask for me, I'm probably going to be around. LinkedIn a little bit, but uh, compared to folks like you and Scott Sullivan and, and <laughs> the, the, the folks that take that stuff seriously, I am woefully underrepresented on, on social media. No worries. We'll hold the candle for you. Well, Paul, let's end today, as we always do, with one bold prediction. Well, one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? Anything specific to SaaS or solar or more meta? What's in your crystal ball? So there's actually a couple trends that I think are interesting in terms of SaaS. So one quick one and one bigger picture one. So the quick one is just the tools playing nicely with each other is such a powerful trend. We've been talking about this for the last couple of years, but we've mentioned the, the, the energy tool-based integration. For those outside the US, we now work with Homer. For those in Australia, we work with Nearmap. For those in Mexico, we work with ExoSolar and their Ecotisa product. So the future in many ways is having lots of great tools. And most importantly, the user wants to use a certain combination of products A, B, C, and D, that that should just be seamless. And that's our job to make that happen. And that's been happening and that's been huge. The future is not one massive company that does everything. It is not Apple. It is an ecosystem. Lots of companies, because this stuff is hard. It's not just basic product development. It's a lot of very specific functional areas. The second big trend, I'm actually going to harken back to one of your earliest episodes when you were on with Stephen Lacey. Mm. And Stephen, I still remember when Stephen asked hot or not solar software, and he said not at all. He thought we were too small to matter and that we were uh, just not pulling our weight in the industry. But yeah, so, so Stephen just thought that we were kind of, you know, rounding air for the industry. And one might still say, if you look purely based on revenue, we're not a huge company in terms of TAMP. But I think we're actually one of the biggest leverage points in the industry. And we're going to see for, for us and others, places where we can start to become the marketplace. We're going to become the place where people discover the products where people actually assemble the solutions that they want to buy. And we love the future where people can use Helioscope to figure out if something is worth financing and then actually find the financing. And by the way, we're not going to be the ones to provide that financing. We're not going to become the next Sunrun product, but there's going to be lots of other great companies that have financing. And we want to play matchmaker with our users and the financial offerings on the market. And as that grows, 
you know, we will be essentially the marketplace where things happen for the non-top 10 players. Again, all the top 10 players, they do stuff in-house. They pretty much are vertically integrated. For the rest of the market, we are the right product to bring all these other products to the long tail. I mean, basically, we've got a, a just shy of 3,000 users. And as I tell all these companies, you know the top 100 and you're calling on the top 100. 101 through 3,000 is on Helioscope. We want to facilitate those products reaching those users. There's two sides of that, right? One is if there's anyone who has a product that they would love in the future to be able to have that facilitated through a Helioscope marketplace, let me know. We've had a bunch of those conversations, but there's, I'm sure, areas that we haven't thought of yet. From our users' point of view, you know, we talk about this every now and then, but this is not something that we deal with day to day, you know, because this is something that's around the corner that our users aren't even asking about yet. But if anyone feels strongly about that, I'd love to hear that as well. Well, there's so much more we could dig into, so many areas where you guys are innovating and being bold. And I look forward, Paul, to getting you back on the show. Appreciate your feedback and your support of Suncast. Thanks for showing up today and we will chat with you soon, my friend. Thanks for having me on. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.